Amen. Can we please stand as we worship together? Hosanna. Praise is rising. Welcome to the King, Lord Jesus. 
pretty soon, so I'll just keep talking. <laughs> I've got it on. All right, why don't you have a seat? And um, here we go. It's good to see you all. What a pleasure it is to worship together, all of us in this room and also those who are watching from home on, uh, online. My name is Jane DeYoung, and I'm the pastor of care, which is what kind I mean, how good can a job be, right? <laughs> It's just wonderful. Anyway, I'm happy to serve you all. And um, we just have a few things we want to let you know about for the coming week or two. And uh, let me go through those. Many of you know that Hillside is the primary support source for the, um, safe, for the safe house in Southeast Asia. And um, so there's going to be a fundraiser this Saturday. It will be... Um, Let's see, in the evening, like 5.30, I think, 5.30 to 8.30 or so. And there'll be a delicious Burmese um, buffet, a silent auction, and former Hillside pastor Jeff Reed will be the MC. So that'll be fun. Sarah Ago, whom many of you know, also will be there. Now, the deadline for purchasing tickets is this Thursday, and um, they're going fast. So if you're interested, um, reach out quite, um, and get your tickets right away. They can be purchased at searchforhope.org. And for more information, you can talk to Lisa McGinnis or Randy Fishback. And I just want to, the contact information for these people whom I mention up here can always, almost always be found on the website. If you go to the website and then click on that large button called What's Happening, then all the um, events that are going on, all the details that I give and that are even more details will be there, and you can find their phone numbers or their webs or their uh, email addresses and so on. So, any, whenever we mention a name, just you know, keep that in mind so that you can uh, find the details on contacting them. Now, Hillside also has a ministry for families with special needs, and it's a marvelous ministry. And it's not just for Hillside families; it's for any family that has special needs children or adults that they're living with. Hillside will be hosting a respite day. That's the main ministry of um, that we do in this area, and so the parents can drop off their kids um, Saturday afternoon on February 11th. Again, that's this Saturday, and they can just then the parents can go off and have the afternoon for themselves. So it's just kind of a special treat uh, for parents who usually have to be on 24-7. And this gives them a few hours of just go to a movie or, you know, go have coffee and talk. <laughs> just get to talk quietly with each other. You know, that that's a treat. So um, we have all the volunteers that we need. If anybody is really feeling called to volunteer, you would be most welcome. But it's nice to know that um, our church has really stepped up and we have um, the volunteers that, that are necessary. So um, let's see. If you want to register your family to, be, you know, to come and bring the children, just check in with Natalie Stern. And again, her contact information would be under what's happening and then check on the um, respite day. Now, our tech guys, who are primarily Jariah and uh, Stephen, are going to be hosting a smartphone workshop on Wednesday, February 15th, from 1 to 3. I'll be there too, but I'm not one of the, I'm, I'm kind of a student, and they're the teachers, so. <laughs> 
We'll see. Um, so there's no charge, but we would love to get your questions in advance. So if you would like to come, we'd love to hear that you're coming. So RSVP. And also, you know, kind of what area um, in using your smartphone you're struggling with. And just let, just call Matt um, Smith in the church office or email him and let him know what, um, you know, what your main thing is that just makes you tear your hair out. All right. So that's a good thing. Um, some of you have been wondering, in fact, many of you have been, probably been wondering, are we going to do a retreat this year down at Mission Springs? Yes, we are. Yay. And detail, yeah, thank you. Um, it's just a, it's beautiful in Scotts Valley, and it's just a time of great fun and fellowship where you have just the pleasure of extended time with uh, your church family, where you can just sit see someone and just say, hi, you know, I see you all the time, but we've never really talked. And so you can just take, you know, some time to talk and get to know someone new. It's a real, um, I don't know, it's a gift. That's guess the best word to say. So mark your calendars and save the date. It's May 19 through 21. And um, more details will be coming out, I'm sure. Now, plans are underway for Easter. It's going to be a beautiful service, I know. And um, I put services. I think we're having two services that Sunday. And um, we're having several choirs. One, a children's choir, then a youth choir, and an adult choir. And uh, the children's choir will be rehearsing after church on Sundays. The uh, youth choir will be rehearsing before youth group on Thursdays. And those are both under the direction of Catherine our lovely worship partner here. And I want to invite Jim Veltkamp up. Is Jim right handy here somewhere? Here he comes. And um, he's going to talk a little bit about the adult choir. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Jane. You said, is Jim handy? I'm not so sure. <laughs> Anyway, it's been requested that we have a choir again, and I'm going to call it for the Holy Week, uh, possibly Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter. My reason for being here is because I know a lot of you out there can sing, and I would love to see a whole lot more of you join with us. Um, you don't have to have experience, although of course it helps. If you can read music, it helps. It's all wonderful and great, but there's a lot of great singers normally in the group already, that if you're surrounded by that, you will be able to pick up the part. And we would just love to see that happen. Um, we will begin rehearsals on Wednesday. We're going to do it midweek now. Try to do that again. On Wednesday, the 15th, we'll be begin. And we'll start at 7.15. The letter I put out to you, former members, I think it said 7.30. But we're going to call it at 7.15. And if we can get a good hour in, we're going to be in great, great shape. I'd love to see some younger people come in. I'd, high school age on up would be wonderful. Join with the adults and see what that's like. Um, as I like to quote people, one of our members who's been with us for years, when we joined together at Christmas, he said, I've forgotten how much fun this is. And we were just talking rehearsal yet at that time. But it is a wonderful community of people to uh, worship God together in a very special way. Um, Anything else? Um, and then also I'm going to add another little piece also for Easter, as somebody else I'm going to quote said, Easter is not much without some brass. <laughs> 
And we would love to have some brass players. I know of several, but I'd love to hear some more. I bet you've got something in your closet that you need to get out. <laughs> Here's your chance. Pull that thing out, dust it up, um, oil it, and start blowing some air into it and see what happens. Most of you, if you've ever played, it comes back like riding a bicycle. Okay, so come to me, let me know if you're one of those that I've never heard about, and we'd love to have it so that we can put a beautiful service and time together on Easter. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Jim. Hey, I've got a ukulele. I don't suppose that would work, would it? <laughs> I haven't played that in a while. Well, um, this is a wonderful time to stand up and greet your neighbor and just have a few minutes of uh, fellowship. So Jane mentioned ukulele. Oh, the word ukulele apparently gets attention. Jane mentioned the word ukulele. I, Catherine and I, when we were dating, we went to a comedy club and made the very terrible mistake of sitting in the front row. And they started asking people what they did uh, for a living and just and then tearing people apart. And then they said, how about you, sir? Oh, I'm a student. I thought, whew, I got lucky. I'm gonna, he goes, oh, great, what's your major? I go, oh, boy, here it comes. Guitar? Your major's guitar? What's your minor, ukulele? So anyway, every time I hear the word ukulele, that's what I think of. Um, I just asked, I just wrangled you and had you sit, but now you have to stand because you have to stand on this song. Go ahead, Gary. Crown him with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowned all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight. But downward bends his wandering eye at mystery so bright. Crown him with man of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious through the strife for those he came to save. His glories now be seen, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of heaven, one with the Father knows. One with the Spirit through Him, give from yonder glorious throne. 
reign for thou for us hast died be thou O Lord through endless days adored and magnified we could have our ushers come forward for our offering let's uh, let's thank God for our offering and also just uh, bring a few people before him in prayer God we give to you now in um, in gratitude for all that you have done for us. God, thank you for every provision that you have that we now give back to you, some small portion of that. We love you and we thank you. And God, just a few uh, praises and requests that we have for you. Lord, we thank you that Sarah Ball is doing better as we prayed for her last week. Thank you for that, Lord. God, we want to lift up um, Kathy Moore. She continues to heal from an ongoing sickness. Also for uh, Adrienne Weiss, um, to give her increased physical strength uh, after a car accident, Lord. Um, keep doing your work there, Lord. And Lord, for Ingrid Yamamoto, for healing of her hand after surgery. God, we lift up all our brothers and sisters, and um, just we know that you are the great healer. And we, we leave everything to you. And we trust you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I have had people stand before during uh, offering, but I feel like I'm trying to send a signal like so you can get deeper into your pockets, right? Stand. That's not what we want to do. Um, a lot of people ask the last worship leaders, what's your favorite worship song? And that's tough, right? That's like choosing between children. There's so many great worship songs. Um, I can easily choose between my children. I won't tell you which of uh, those they are. I like to keep them all guessing, but... Um, this song means so much to me for a number of reasons. It's I Will Rise. It was written by uh, Chris Tomlin. And uh, my mother passed away pretty young, age 48. Died of, uh, of breast cancer. And my brother was 10 years old. I was 26. He was a much later child. And so I had to watch how difficult that was for my 10-year-old brother to grow up without his mom. He just fantastic. He's a godly man and a, a, an amazing marriage now. And we lost our father 11 years ago suddenly. About a year later, my brother gets engaged, and I'm the best man, and I'm going to plan his bachelor party. And if you think about the world's view of a bachelor party, that is not what we were going for. <laughs> Let me describe to you our, his bachelor party. We gathered together there were a lot of musicians from worship teams, and we actually started like writing songs together, uh, writing worship songs. Then we went to dinner. I did want to do something traditional with the, uh, as, a, as a bachelor party. I asked everyone to take off their left shoe. I ordered one beer, and I poured a shot glass for everyone who didn't take a drink of it, as it turned out. But I said, let it be known that as the best man, I provided booze and strippers. That's... <laughs> That's as far as I went with that. We then went, but I checked the boxes. We then went to the Chris Tomlin concert. And this song, I Will Rise, which comes out of Revelation, where we're looking at the host praising the name of Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. You've heard me say this before, that 
the most comforting thing we can do as believers when we think about the people we've lost is to imagine where they are right now in the presence of our king, singing, worthy is the lamb, bowing on their faces before him in his presence, worthy is the lamb. So my brother and I, we're at the concert, we're standing next to each other, we can't even sing this song. I'll do my best to sing it now. I pray that you drown me out. I would encourage you, anyone you've lost, anyone who you know is with the king, as we're singing, picture them in their presence of their Savior and know that you will be there too if you call Jesus Lord and Savior. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed Victory is won. He is risen from the dead, and I will rise when He calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagles' wings before my God. Fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. There's a day that's drawing near when this darkness turns to night and the shadows disappear. And my faith shall be my eyes. Jesus has overcome, and the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead, and I will And I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagles' wings before my God. Fall on my knees and rise. Please stand this I will rise And I hear the voice of many angels sing Worthy is the Lamb And I hear the cry of every longing heart Worthy is the Lamb 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, good morning, everyone. I am Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. It is really wonderful to have you here on a very special morning. This is Brunch for Ten Sunday. This is very, very exciting. Right after this service, about 150 Hillsiders are going to be gathering at 15 different brunch sites, all spread throughout the county from San Ramon to Mar Martinez, enjoying a fabulous brunch. This is going to be very, very exciting. Building relationships, making connections. Uh, I can't wait. And uh, I have a, a question for you. Raise your hand if you are hosting today. Real, real high. People can see who's hosting. There you go. Now, hold on, hold on. Go, go ahead, actually. That's very appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Now, keep your hand raised. Hands up. If the egg casserole you are serving today can stand up against anyone. Just keep your hand up. Okay. <laughs> Oh, very interesting. There are still some hands held high. I like that. I was thinking this was a humbler church than it turns out to be, actually. Anyway, it is really going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And very seriously, thank you for those of you who are joining in in some way. Yeah, that's right. Because you really are helping build up this church family. You're helping realizing one of our big Christmas gifts, if you remember our Advent series, Big Present Christmas. In the Messiah, we have a new family, and we build into it when we eat together. So really well done. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but there was a blockbuster discovery in planetary science just two weeks ago. This is very true. Uh, scientists reported that there has been a major shift in the core of our planet. You heard about that, Floyd. Who's heard about that? Very, very, very interesting. Now, like you, I bet, I knew before that the, the core of planet Earth is molten liquid metal. But what I did not know up until now is that inside that liquid core, this is true, is a solid metal marble. Who knew that? It's all true. Well, that solid metal marble, according to scientists at Peking University, the planet within the planet, as they call it sometimes, has begun to move. It's starting to move. It's waking up. It's starting to spin. Now, I know this sounds like the setup to a doomsday movie, <laughs> probably starring Bruce Willis, okay? <laughs> But it's absolutely true. It's happening. Now, I don't want you to worry. We are all going to get to brunch today, so don't stress about it, okay? And that's because uh, even though it's happening, something new is happening in the core of the earth, it's not going to have any uh, surface effects. Now, why talk about this? Here's why. If you have been around Hillside uh, this year, you know that we have been in a series called Ambassador You, and it's a series in which we Hillsiders the already skilled ambassadors of King Jesus. Here's a picture of some of us in action in the DR. But we ambassadors are seeking to gain a firmer grip on our message. We already know a lot about our message. 
but we're trying to get a, a, a firmer, clearer grip on it. And uh, by the way, if you are new this morning, maybe somebody invited you to Hillside. Uh, you're, you're not a, a Christian, but you're kind of interested in exploring Christianity. You could not have come on a better Sunday, and you could not be here for a better series, because in this series, we are boring down into the message of Christianity. So this is a great time for you to be here. Uh, But as we have looked very closely at Scripture, we have been in the lab. Uh, Many of us, and I know this to be the case because many of you have been talking to me about this series, which has been very exciting. Many of us have experienced a shift, an adjustment in our understanding of the core of our message. Now, again, we haven't gotten rid of anything at all. We're keeping everything we know. We're just putting the pieces together in a new way that precisely matches Scripture. And in particular, we are making a slight adjustment to our understanding of the gospel proper. And whereas many of us used to think that the gospel was first and foremost about us, our condition, our dreams, our problems, our needs, and how a generic God meets those needs, we are seeing through a very close examination of Scripture that the gospel, biblically speaking, is first and foremost an announcement about Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and that singular man's full life that God-man, and what's more, we've seen that what you could say is the metal marble at the center of the gospel is an emphasis over and over again when you look at Scripture very carefully on Jesus' present earthly kingship. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. He is Jesus the King. And this is central to the biblical writer's understanding of the gospel. The fact that despite appearances, because of Jesus' spotless career, Jesus is now in charge of the whole world. He is now, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the Son of God in power. That's who we are here to honor today. If you would pull out your handout, I see some fine riptiders in the front. You don't have handouts. You're going to need a handout to follow along today. You really will. So Rod or Drew, would you bring these beautiful younger hillsiders a handout? You you really are going to need this. So take a look at that handout, all of you. If you don't have one, again, raise your hand. You're going to need one. Lisa Hudson needs one. The worship director needs one. Ethan needs one. The former board chairman needs one. Lisa, the published author, needs one. Anyway. Ah, one more. Gary Cedarwall. The distinguished Gary Cedarwall. Anyway, check out that handout. Look at the front page. And as you can see, it's got a, a simple chart on it. And that is for keeping the various components of our big message as ambassadors in mind. And let's look at it here. As you can see, the big message that we have to share as the uh, forgiven and the beloved ambassador friends of King Jesus is that whole rectangle. That's our message, that whole rectangle. And that rectangle contains two parts. First, the gospel 
proper, and second, the opportunities that the gospel proper makes available to all people, everyone, irrespective of their worth or their value in human terms. You see, God, the true God, is indiscriminate in his grace. He offers himself, he offers his son to everyone. He is totally colorblind. But both sides are key, and though distinct, each is part of our essential message as ambassadors, part of our big message. Now look at the chart again. What's more, as you can see from the chart, the gospel proper, one half of our big message, also contains two parts. First, the full career of Jesus, which again, we're going to say again and again with special emphasis on the fact that he's the king right now, he's in charge. And then second, how that spectacular career, nobody ever lived like Jesus, how that career specifically completes the story of Israel. And that is very important. Now, in our last two messages, if you were here, you know, we pitched a tent and we camped in that top left box. And we really dug into scripture, often in the way you do in a Sunday school class, more than a sermon. And we looked into Acts 13, 16 through 37. Remember, we read the whole thing. We read it out loud. Romans 1, 1 through 4, we picked it apart. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6, we picked it apart. 2 Timothy 2, 8, to see what those passages say the gospel is. And we'd reached the conclusion we did. What we haven't gotten to yet is the second part of the gospel proper, the lower left box. We haven't talked about how that career, that sparkling career of Jesus, completes the story of Israel, and that is our focus today. So this morning, the second part of the gospel proper, or the lower left box. Everyone with me? You got where we are? All right. Now, I would imagine that over the last two weeks that we have been going deep, I, I, I would imagine that as you've heard me say over and over and over again, that part of the gospel is how the career of Jesus culminating in his, in his kingship brings Israel's story to a close, I, I imagine as you've heard that, you have wondered how that could possibly be the case. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure that some of you have thought this to yourselves. Why does Jesus' backstory really matter? Why, why, why does that make a difference? Especially for a non-Jewish audience. I mean, what is the significance of that? And in our sharing with people, in our, in, our, in our spiritual conversations with spiritually curious friends, why can't we just get right to the career of Jesus? And maybe you're thinking this. You know, now I'm actually really beginning to see why the full career of Jesus matters, the full story, but why the back story? I, I, you've lost me there. Totally understandable question. And this morning, I'm going to explain why it's critical. And I'm going to begin this way. As we all know, what something means, it means in relation to its context. And here is a perfectly ridiculous example. And before I give it to you, by the way, I've already made note of this, but we have our students with us today. Riptide and Edge. Now, hold on, hold on. Riptide, since you're in the front row, I want you to stand. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay. 
And I want you to take a bow while we applaud you. Go ahead and do that, okay? Go, bow, bow. That's good. That's good. All right, you can sit down, okay. You can sit down. That's not fair. High schoolers, there are high schoolers in here in theory. Uh, I know Madeline Napes is here, I saw her. Stand up if you're a high schooler. There's Madeline, there's Josh. Good, oh Liliana, very good. Oh, I'm good to see you guys. I haven't seen you since VBS. High schoolers, give them a, a big round of applause. That's right, okay. We're glad you're here. All right, but back to the point, okay? Here's an example. Meaning, uh, something means what it means in context. Here's an example. Take this sentence, okay? Take this sentence. Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm, okay? Now, that sentence means something, right? And if that were true, you would probably be very unhappy with Leo, right? At least if you're coming to the site's house for brunch, okay? However, the statement, Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm in order to keep me from getting run over by a cement truck <laughs> means something totally different, doesn't it? Get the point? Meaning is contextual, and so it is with the gospel. We can't really know what the gospel means. We can't really know what the career of Jesus means culminating in his kingship until we know the specific question to which his career was the answer. Make sense? And that question is bound up in the story of Israel, the focus of the Old Testament. So that brings us to this question. What was the story of Israel all about? What was God's purpose with Israel? And to understand that purpose, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to creation. We need to ask, why did God create people in the first place? Why did he make human beings? Now, let's read this passage, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, because this, this answer, this passage is going to give us our answer. Okay, you can find it in your handout. Now, here, I'm going to give you a little warning here. Next 10 minutes is going to be dense, Okay. Just like last week, there's a big, dense biblical section. Here we're going into it. 10 or 12 minutes. You got to stay with me, okay? I'm not mainly trying to talk to your heart. I'm trying to talk to your mind, okay? So focus, really, really focus and follow the train of the argument. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. It says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, what do we have here? We'll get right to it. Yahweh created human beings, he created all of us, in order to be a creation blessing family. That was why he made us. Let me say it again. Yahweh created human beings in order to be a creation blessing family. How do we arrive at that? 
taking the first phrase, creation blessing. Look back at the passage. Twice, once in verse 26, once in verse 28, God says human beings are to have dominion over creation. Now, to our ears, that might sound a little exploitative, okay? A little, hey, let's mine the planet Pandora for some unobtainium, if you've seen Avatar, okay? But that's not the meaning at all. That's not the meaning of the mandate as Genesis chapter 2 makes clear. Listen to this passage. Here the biblical writer says, the Lord God took the man, humankind, and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And without getting into too much detail, these words mean something very particular. They mean to serve and safeguard. They mean to preserve and protect. But what's the bottom line? God created human beings with a specific purpose. And that purpose is to care for, and here's something exciting if you're an artist or you're a scientist or you're an inventor, not just to care for it, but to bring out all of the hidden potential of God's extraordinary creation, a creation that he loves. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. More than just having God-like endowments, like reason or imagination, to be created in the image of God means to be given a task. It means to be entrusted with a responsibility, and that task is very specific. Listen, it's to bring God's loving administration, God's influence, you could even say God's glory to his creation, which he loves. Now let's look at the second part of the phrase, family. God's desire was that human beings would carry out this creation ruling. Again, and we know what that means, this preserving and protecting, this securing and safeguarding kind of service in joyful harmony with other people. We wouldn't do it alone. We would do it as part of a family. And this corporate aspect of our created calling, the fact that God wants a group God wants a team. God wants a family. This could not be clearer. Check it out. First off, Genesis 1, what does the Lord do? He gives this preserving and protecting mandate, not just to one person. He gives it to a pair. He gives it to a male and a female who together, Genesis 1 is very clear, bear God's image. And then what else does he do? If we wonder whether this dream that God has is for a group or a family to operate together, he tells them to multiply. He tells them to create a family for that glory-spreading task. So again, God's plan, God's purpose for human beings is very, very plain. It's right in the very beginning of Scripture. It's to rule creation. Again, not in an, uh, 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 an avatar, exploitive sense, but in the way you tend a garden or you take care of flowers and he wants us to do that as part of a loving family. Well, what happened? Genesis 3 tells us what happened. We human beings failed. We rejected God. We put ourselves in his place, and we began to try to define right and wrong in our own terms. But here's what's key. It's not only that. We didn't just reject God. We also rejected his purpose for us. He had a reason to make us. We rejected God. 
We also rejected his purpose, again, to preserve and protect, to serve and to safeguard, to help his beloved creation flourish and blossom in every way something could flourish and blossom. So what does God do? Did he abandon his dream? Did he give up on the plan of a flourishing creation, preserved and protected by an image-bearing, glory-spreading human family? Of course he didn't. God has way more grit than that. He wasn't going to give up. So what does he do? He makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises that in that future family, it's a little bit unclear, he doesn't spell out all the details, but he says that somehow in that future family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And somehow it's that family that will do something very particular, get God's creation project back on track. Well, a few hundred years later, after rescuing Abraham's family, the family that's somehow going to be the solution to this problem, what does he do? Check out your handout again. He entrusts them with a glorious responsibility. They, the nation of Israel, are going to be, look at it, his treasured possession, and here's the really key phrase, his kingdom of priests. In other words, they are going to be the family that represents God to the world. Where have we heard that before? We've heard that, right? This covenant that God makes with Israel echoes God's original commission to Adam and Eve. Now stay with me because we're getting close to the punchline. As a whole, that special nation of royal priests, they don't do too well. They don't do much better than Adam and Eve. And of course, that's because they are infected by the same disease Adam and Eve were affected by, sin. Nevertheless, Israel, the chosen people, chosen for a purpose to get God's creation project back on track, they prove not to be a complete failure. You see, after many centuries of failing and flailing as God's royal priestly family, God's glory-spreading family, one member of that family succeeds. One Israelite gets over the bar. One Israelite manages to live perfectly, both as God's royal priest, that was Israel's job, right? And as God's image bearer, that was the job of every human being. And as part of his perfect royal priest image-bearing life, in fact, as a natural consequence of that life, living faithfully before God, he goes to the cross. And he bears the full weight, not just of the sin of his countrymen and women, fellow Israelites, but he bears the sin of all of humanity. Who is this one Israelite, Kaylee? <laughs> the answer is always Jesus, by the way. If somebody asks you a question like that. It's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who also turns out to be God's eternally begotten son and thus God himself. Well, after dying that power of sin extinguishing death, the very final chapter of his perfect royal priest, 
image-bearing life, what does God do? God crowns him king of creation and raises him to share his own throne. Again, in the words of Paul in Romans 1, 4, God declares him the son of God in power. And suddenly, don't miss this, God finally has what God always wanted. The beautiful vision of Psalm 8 fulfilled, God's beloved creation finally ruled over by a true human being who images him perfectly. And now let me ask, are you beginning to see why completing the story of Israel is the essential framing for the gospel? Are you beginning to grasp the question for which the career of Jesus is the answer? It's okay if it's still fuzzy because it's about to get really clear. We can say it like this. If the story of Israel was all about how humans would be restored to their glorious, created, image-bearing purpose, and if the career of Jesus is the climax of that story, it follows that the supreme meaning of the career of Jesus is that human beings can finally be restored to their created purpose, their purpose to be the joyful, loyal members of God's creation blessing, glory-spreading family, to be God's family of reflectors. We might even see, say, his light bearers. Where have we heard that before? You see, fellow ambassadors, that's the point. That's the point of Jesus. That's the point of Christianity. The path is cleared. The way is paved. A human being who perfectly images God is now on the throne of, in charge of creation. Yes, he's also the eternal son of God and God himself, but he's still a human being in a physical body today. And here's the thing. With that king on the throne, wrecked human beings, we marred masterpieces can come to him, we can join his family, we can be forgiven, and we can be restored to the very purpose for which God made us in the first place, to bring God's glory wherever we go, God's loving influence to the whole world. I want to say this one more way so that it sinks in. Human beings were created to be God's icons. He had a purpose for us. He made us in order to be living statues that would transmit God's goodness and glory everywhere. Our volleyball teams, our offices, wherever we do martial arts, our history classes. In fact, look at your handout again. In the Greek Old Testament, the word image as in let us make man in our image, is icon, from which we get the word icon. Unfortunately, because of the power of sin both inside and out, all human beings failed to live that exalted purpose. All but one. One human being, literally one iconic human being, succeeded in imaging God perfectly. And in that life, managed to kill off evil itself with the glorious result that being that now 
all of us, being united to that reigning king, the true and supreme icon of God, as Paul says in Colossians 1.15, here it is. All human beings, every single one of us can be restored as icons too, with all of creation enjoying the benefits. That's Christianity in a nutshell. In Jesus, the reigning king, in Jesus, the supreme icon of God, we wrecked and marred icons can become icons again. That's what it's about. I think we need a virtual back rub. Don't touch the person in front of you, but give them a virtual back rub. That was very, very deep. Now listen, when we launched this morning, we compared the shift that we are experiencing in our understanding of the core of the gospel, really trying to bore down to what the biblical writers say about it. And we've compared it to a shift in the liquid metal core of the earth. Here's where the parallel breaks down. You see, in the case of the earth, that shift in the, the, the metal marble at the center of the earth, it has no real effects. It's great to think about from a scientific standpoint, but we're not going to feel any of the effects up here. However, in the case of our big message as ambassadors and the gospel proper, and within that message in particular, the shift, that shift has extraordinary implications. I mean huge implications. Seeing the gospel, seeing the career of Jesus as completing the story of Israel, it changes the way we see the entire Christian faith. It's the difference between Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm and Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm to save me from getting run over by a cement truck. And I want to explain with a story. When I was a college pastor back in Davis, developed a close relationship with uh, a student who we will call Chris. Wonderful guy. Lots of coffee meetings with him over a long time. That's not his real name. And he was a leader in our ministry as well. And at one point in his college career, I think I'll put it this way, Chris began to live in such a way as to bring real damage to himself and damage to somebody with whom he was in a relationship. And this led to him starting to drift away from college life, our college community. And despite that, we stayed in touch. Well, seeing this happening and being concerned about him, I invited Chris to my house to talk about it, and we were friends, so this was normal. And I expected in this conversation to help Chris get back on track. And I ex expected Chris to want to. But as we talked, and we talked late in the night, I will not ever forget this conversation with a student. I've never had one quite like it. As we talked, I experienced more and more and more bewilderment. 
And as I gently tried to help Chris, as shepherds do, whether you're a pastor or a home group leader or a table group leader for Kairos, as I tried to help him think about what his next steps might be on the basis of the gospel, it was like I was talking through water. He did not have any idea what I was talking about. With the result being, it wasn't just me who was bewildered by this conversation. It was Chris as well. And I remember that night talking to Allison about it, saying that was the strangest conversation I have ever had. And eventually it dawned on me, Chris had missed the whole point of Christianity. He'd missed the whole thing. That united to King Jesus, the true icon of God, and all that that entails, in terms of forgiveness and the hope for eternal life and justification and a whole boatload of other things, he had missed that human beings become little icons again. They start to become like Jesus himself. And in fact, his head was so full of empty Christian sound bites coffee mug sentiments about Jesus rather than Jesus Christ or Jesus the King. Jesus being his homeboy rather than Jesus as the saving, reigning King. Grace as a generic, divine acceptance, unconnected to any larger story, sort of a divine don't worry about it rather than grace in its particular biblical sense as the gift of King Jesus to turn us into the joy-soaked people, image-bearing we were meant to be from the beginning, his mind was so full of empty slogans that he simply could not understand what I was talking about when I urged a new direction on the basis of the gospel. And friends, he was not trying to be obtuse. It wasn't trying to be difficult. He simply didn't understand what the point was. And here's the thing. What he thought he knew about the point of Christianity kept out what he needed to know about Christianity and to begin flourishing again. And you know what? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault at all. Even though he'd grown up in youth group, He'd been to camp, he'd heard a million messages about generic Jesus or um, generic grace or generic spirituality. He'd never heard the gospel. He'd never heard the career of Jesus culminating in his present kingship, completing the story of Israel or paving the way finally for all human beings to be restored to their iconic roles in God's iconic family. And this is why mastering our message as ambassadors is so important. You see, the question to which the gospel, to which the career of Jesus is the answer, is not this one. This is what Chris thought. This is not the question. How can sinners be forgiven in the abstract? How can they count on cloud heaven after they die? And in the meantime, how can they do whatever they want to do? That's not the question. 
Rather, the question to which the gospel, the career of Jesus, culminating in his kingship, is this. How can human beings become icons again? How can they become little Jesuses in the world? The glory of God spreaders like they were created to be. After all, Romans 3.23 does not say this. It doesn't say, for all have sinned and fall short of specific commandments, though that's true. What does Romans 3.23 say? You know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, a.k.a. their created purpose. That's the problem. A.W. Tozier, famous Christian writer, wrote this, a quote you've probably heard. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that quote. Let me riff on it. Here's my version. I prefer. What comes into our minds when we think about the gospel is the most important thing about us. It will determine our lives. What are the implications for us as ambassadors? Because that's really our question, right? We're already skilled ambassadors. We're committed to sharing Jesus with people as God gives us opportunity. What's the implication? Let me say this, fellow ambassadors, because we're all in this together. Lower left box, look at it again. Lower left box doesn't mean that when we share the good news with friends, we rehash every single chapter of Israel's history, right? So don't worry, you don't have to memorize every king between Jeroboam and Jehoiakim, okay? But here is what it does mean. And this is really important. It does mean that when we explain the gospel, when we explain as part of the spiritual conversation over time, that because the gospel completes the career of Israel, it has a goal. And the goal of the gospel is our transformation. It's our reformation as God's icons, which we were created to be. And it's our refitting into God's family, his glory-spreading family, which will lead to our greatest joy. It's time for communion. If you're a musician, come on up. I am hoping that in this series, which has been dense for sure, I am hoping that on the basis of what we are learning, we're going to be able to take this meal with new perception of our host. Our host, my dear friends, my fellow ambassadors, our host here is Jesus, the saving, reigning King. Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us all right now, with the eyes of our hearts, let's see him in our imaginations. He's here. He's not far 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to what Paul says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same icon from one degree of glory to another. And what Paul is saying here is the more we focus on Jesus the King, his whole life, the more we adore him, the more we think about him, the more we read the Gospels and appreciate him, the more we are restored in God's image. Jesus is to be our focus. Jesus the King. Jesus who lived like no one else. And when we look at him and we adore him and we think about him and in the power of the Spirit we try to imitate him however and wherever God gives us opportunity, bit by bit, stage by stage, degree by degree, we become more and more like him with all of creation experiencing the benefits. This is the Lord's table. And Jesus the King invites all of us who have trusted in him as sin bearer and have given him our allegiance as the reigning king of the world to share in this meal. And we brothers and sisters, because that's what we are, of this creation blessing family, we're welcome to come. We're welcome to come to enjoy this and we're welcome to, as we might say, be re-glazed by God's glory. Jesus the King who's here. Let's take a minute to be silent before him. And, and let's, in our mind's eye, let's see him as our glorious king, because that's where he is. Over and above all powers. And let's adore him in our own minds and hearts. King Jesus, our Savior, sin-bearer, sovereign, adored friend, we recognize you and welcome you to this meal. This is your meal. In fact, you welcome us because you're the host. We love you. We are for you. Our lives are committed to you, your purposes, and your glory. And more than ever before, we want to be transformed by you, to be restored in the image of God so that the people who encounter us, whether they live in our home or they're next to us in history class or on the treadmill next to us at the gym, they experience something of the love and the glory of your Father. Because we understand that's why we were created. And that's why we've been redeemed. Thank you so much. Thank you for this meal. Thanks for the way it's going to nourish us. We love you and we praise you. Here's how communion will work. There are going to be stations uh, to my right, to my left. There will be uh, a station in the back. There will be a roving station uh, as well. Uh, once our servers come up, in fact, servers, you can come up right now. I'll signal that, that those in the front can come up. And then uh, afterwards, people behind them can come up. As you approach one of the stations, you can take bread, you can take juice. All the bread is gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about that. 
And then once you've gotten your bread and your juice, you can go back to your seat around the, the sides. We have four stations. Okay, oh, that's good. Once you've gotten your elements, if you would uh, take them back to your seats and we will eat and drink together. As people of the Evangelical Covenant Church, we believe that this meal is for everybody who belongs to King Jesus. Everybody who knows the King by faith. You don't need to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. You don't have to be a regular attender of every church. If you know Jesus the King, this meal is for you. And I want to say, you know, if you've not given your allegiance to the King, nothing keeps you from doing it right now. You could do it right now. You could say in your own heart, you know, I know this is true. Nobody made up Jesus of Nazareth. No one made up this story. It's true. And apart from seeing reality through the lens of Jesus, nothing makes sense. So with the understanding I have now, I believe. And I'm giving that King my love and my loyalty. If that is your decision right now, you're part of this creation blessing family, and this meal is for you. So I invite you to join everyone else who comes up at this time. Please come forward. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray for God's blessing on these elements. King Jesus, eternal Son of God and supreme image of God, icon of God, we praise you for your royal priestly life, which meant shedding your blood and letting your body be broken in death for our sake so that we could be forgiven, restored to your friendship, and remade as your glory-spreading icons. Father God, please bless this bread which we eat together and this cup which we drink together and let us through this blessed bread and this blessed cup become partakers of your own living son, our king, and make us more able to live out our glory-spreading calling, whatever that might mean for each of us this week. Amen. This is the body of Christ. Let's eat together. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Loving Father, you have accepted us as living members of your Son, our saving, reigning King. 
And in feeding us with his body and blood, you have refilled us with your Holy Spirit. Thanks for the strength you've given us in this meal. Thanks for the difference it's going to make this week as we seek to convey your goodness and glory in all that we do, whether it's painting or parenting or going to Pleasant Hill Middle or being at the gym. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's sing together. Please stand as we respond. You work in them. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you, in all I do, I'll honor you. I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you work in death. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be if you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I My joy to honor you in all I do to honor you. You are my king. You are my king.
Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. You are my King. You are my King. Jesus, you Jesus, you are my King. Like every week, uh, there will be prayer ministers up here ready to meet you. Uh, let them minister to you. Let them be reflectors of God's goodness and glory and grace to you as they minister to you. It's brunch for 10. Hope it's a wonderful, wonderful time. Michelle just told me that because a handful of people have canceled because of sickness, some of our brunch sites have some open spots. We do not want any of these spots uh, to go unclaimed. So if you have not signed up for brunch for 10, but you, you'd like to go, and we hope you will, stop by the counter and Michelle will set you up. Your benediction, dear ones, dear friends and fellow ambassadors. May in soaring ecstatic joy this week, you live out your calling, now made possible by Jesus, the reigning King, to spread the goodness and the glory of God in all that you do and all that you say. God bless you and have a wonderful brunch.